Hello, this is Entrepreneurship Policy Pulse, Episode 3. My name is Amaka Wokolo. I head the Fade Institute and I am your host. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we have witnessed the introduction of some fiscal and monetary policy reforms that are a part of the current government's strategy to revamp the economy and drive economic growth. Now, these reforms have played out in the form of the unification of all exchange rate windows, the adoption of both old and new Naira notes as legal tender, and fuel subsidy removal, and possibly more to come. Now, there are several expert opinions on these reforms, but the big question is how do these reforms impact small businesses and the entrepreneurship ecosystem as a whole? Today, we'll be discussing Nigeria's fiscal and monetary policy outlook, implications for Nigeria's entrepreneurship ecosystem. And joining me to discuss this topic is a Chief Operations Officer and Senior Fellow, Economic Policy, Strategy and Competitiveness at the Nigerian Economic Summit Group, also known as the NESG, which is Africa's leading think tank redefining evidence-based policy advocacy in Nigeria's interest. Dr. Tayo Adzuloju, thank you very much for joining me today and for making time for this conversation. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Dr. Tayo, like we call him, is a policy entrepreneur. He's an educator, he's a strategist, he's an advocate, and the list goes on. Um, he has over two decades of consulting, strategy, and policy advisory experience that cuts across the major sectors of the economy and governance value chains. Thank you again for being with us, Dr. Tayo. It's a pleasure. Now we know that fiscal and monetary policies are macroeconomic tools used to manage and stimulate the economy, um, right? And both have great impact on a nation's economy, mm. its businesses, its consumers. But let's start from the basics, shall we? Because someone listening might be asking, what is fiscal and monetary policy? So let's start there. So Dr. Tayo, what is fiscal and monetary policy? So the, the way to think of a country's economy right. is to think of it as one part of several systems that make a country work. A country normally has a political system, a social system, okay. and an economic system. Mm-hmm. When you discuss national development, you're automatically discussing all those different systems performing at highly, uh, at high levels comparative to um, where advanced or very developed nations are. Okay. So, for example, a um, a highly developed economy will have certain characteristics. One okay. will be high growth mm-hmm. that is very stable mm. the second will be low inflation in other words the cost of living and doing business in that system is affordable to both citizens and economic actors and then it would naturally create jobs and opportunities right. for people to participate in that system okay. it has um, both jobs and inclusion So let's presume for a moment that Mm -hmm. we have assumed this theoretical or conceptual definition of how, what a good economic system looks like. High growth, low instability, Mm -hmm. low inflation, right? Um, High job creation, high inclusion, 
um, low cost or affordable cost of doing business, business and living, etc. Right. Monetary policy and fiscal policy are simply tools of government to achieve those two things. Um, monetary policy seeks to achieve price stability okay. in three areas, interest rates, mm -hmm. exchange rate, right. and inflation. Okay. Now, um, then fiscal policy se seeks to achieve a balance uh, so what, what we what, what we basically call the balance of the country's current account. Okay. So it, so like you would have in a business, a business is made up of income, revenue, right. and expenditure. Right. So fiscal policy is basically the framework for managing the aggregate revenue and expenditure of the country. Mm. It determines how you make money as a country, mm. okay. where you make the money from. Okay. Um, which is a combination of things. Revenue for countries come from what we call internally generated revenue. So fiscal policy includes internally generated revenue like taxes, right. excise duties, other types of government charges and duties, right? Come together to form revenue. Now, once the government makes all this money internally, the government can also make money externally, what we call... Um, external revenues external uh, 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 the external sector which is trade so for example nigeria trades in oil globally and earns external revenue in dollars the combination of both what it makes externally and internally forms the revenue component of fiscal policy this defines how a country will make money the other part of fiscal policy is then expenditure, how spend the money. country will spend money. This okay. then goes into three parts. One, how we budget. Mm -hmm. So budget becomes a big part of the process of spending money. How we manage the balance between what we earn and what we spend, which okay. goes into treasury management. Yeah. And then there are then deficits sometimes. If you want to spend more than you have earned, you go into borrowing, which introduces <laughs> debt management component of fiscal policy. Hmm. And then sometimes um, you now have conversations about whether your policy will be to borrow locally, what we call domestic borrowing, hmm. or we borrow uh, from outside the country, what we call external borrowing. Right. Okay. Once you have defined your set of choices, because at the end, policy is a set of decisions. Okay. You know, um, a, you know, policy 101 is that policy is down to a set of choices and decisions that government makes. So once you've, once you've made a set of monetary and fiscal policy decisions, it impacts the macroeconomic environment. So, in summary, monetary policy manages stability of prices, inflation, exchange rate, mm -hmm. and interest rates. Right, Fiscal policy manages the resources available in the system, and it is used by government to stimulate certain sectors, mm -hmm. subsidize 
certain sectors, enhance priorities for certain sectors to grow. Mm -hmm. So budgets usually drive stimulus, improves factors of production, for example, infrastructure, roads, rail, housing, etc., or expands services that increases the capacity of human capital to perform. Mm -hmm. um, but together, they create price stability and, and, and market system stability that allows you to now grow the economy. Um, so I, ho you. I hope that's yep. simple <laughs> enough. <laughs> that so that, that's, that was really in-depth, and, and I think that it just provides the perfect um, context and background for the following questions. Um, and honestly, the educator in you was shining through, breaking you, it down, <laughs> breaking it down so that we can understand. So on the back of that, how, how do both policies impact small and growing businesses? So, so it's, it's, it's the same for all businesses. Mm -hmm. If you view a, so if you're a nanopreneur, where we're dealing with just with your wallet, you, you're not even yet at the balance sheet. Think about a nanopreneur as, you know, a self-employed daily or weekly worker, mm -hmm you know, basically working in a small enterprise that is still at the level of just his bank account, right. his skills and himself or herself, right? Your wallet is made up of income mm -hmm. um, and expenditure, right? As an individual, just like a country. Right. And you have assets and liabilities. And for an individual, um, maybe your asset will be, if you're a smallholder farmer, your asset may be, um, your bicycle, your uh, small mila, you know, um, or your land, as the case may be. Your liabilities could be simply the money you borrowed from the MFI to run your agribusiness that year, for example. Mm -hmm. Or it could also be other monies owed to family members, other people's money you collected to put into an enterprise. Mm -hmm. And then you have your income and your expenditure should naturally be based on the cost of doing business. Now, when monetary policy fails mm -hmm. to manage interest rates, if you are borrowing anything from the bank, it directly impacts you um, okay. because it means high in interest rates means the cost at which you are acquiring uh, money to do business becomes too so high. And for some uh, um, nano, small, medium enterprise uh, owners, it wipes them out completely. Certain interest rates, at certain interest rates, um, small businesses just fail. Survive, right? So higher interest rates are generally not good for small businesses. Um, and um, when you then add to that, for example, exchange rate, if you're doing a business, imagine you're a small, uh, um, medium enterprise uh, owner and you've been doing business in the last eight years mm -hmm. where the exchange rate the, the, the official exchange rate and the parallel rate were so wide apart and there were so many windows right. um, it meant that you were quoting for a service or a product mm -hmm. globally at one price mm -hmm. you know um, for example if you were an SME dealing with an international supplier yes. you would negotiate at an official price with that supplier or provider and in nigeria when you now wanted to trade on that amount you trade that on, on a different amount it meant if an investor globally wanted to invest in your business mm. they would be very worried yeah. um, because it means that the cost that we do invest in your business when they want to evacuate their money which means it's going back to dollars becomes tricky one um they are not sure at what price they will evacuate mm. two they are not sure they would get the money out because monetary, monetary policy in the last eight years did not even allow 
for the repatriation of the investments made in Nigeria. And so it mm. affected big investors that wanted to invest in equities, in um, uh, portfolio investments, in FDI. It was a big slowdown of all types of investments in Nigeria because investors could not predict the amount at which they, they were going to um, evacuate their money. And that's significantly impacted MSMEs because the size of private equity uh, growth slowed down in Nigeria. And remember that with MSMEs, private equities are the more useful type of um, uh, investments because of their more patient nature as against um, high interest rates we see in the banks. Um, so on, on the monetary policy side, everything hits the MSME. Um, once you're borrowing from the formal system, the interest rates hit you. Right. Once you're borrowing, once you're doing a business as an input that is international, the FX hits you. Right. Once inflation hits everyone, mm-hmm. and in the and, and in, I mean, at the end of by the end of 2022, there was practically no sector that was not radically impacted by the headline and high inflationary environment, right. um, because of, of course the combination of post-COVID pressure that triggered a recession, a Ukraine-Russia war that drove the prices of food up, um, combined with uh, FX and trade restrictions in Nigeria, we created a perfect situation for a high inflationary environment across all sectors. So already, um, before these new policies, inflationary pressures were very high. Um, we ended last year crossing um, 18% in headline inflation. Um, we at the NAZ predict now that we would see inflation uh, at 22%. And if we do not see an easing effect on the new policies, we may see it rise almost 25%. Um, and it's quite it's quite scary, um, especially when we think of small and growing businesses being the engine room of mm. any economy. So it's it's a bit worrying um, when we think of just the, the the shocks and just the instability that exists. Mm. Um, and so on the back of that, let's now bring this home to talk about the current policies or reforms that have been introduced um, by the current government and uh, what those policies are and what kind of impact are they currently having well, on entrepreneurs? Well, the thing about it is FATE has done a very good job already. The FATE Institute has done a great job already at identifying what work, what, what, the impact, for example. So you have a great report in January on the impact of um, the currency, the new currency policy on MSMEs. That was a great read. By the way, guys, if you've not read um, that report, you should go read it. You know, so you. I think what that, uh, so I mean, in that report, you point to four big things. Mm-hmm. One was the policy was executed in a way that created a literal cash crunch, mm-hmm. okay, which means that very cash based businesses with high uh, cash requirements simply could not perform. The entire open market system in Nigeria, um, which is really larger than any other closed marketing system we have was shut down because traders across the value uh, across many value chains could not access cash it literally crippled business and when you think about the fact that you're dealing with approximately 40 million adults who are financially excluded already Mm. okay a policy like that had 
devastating effects. Um, and so whilst people pointed to the level of financial inclusion, the level of exclusion meant that a policy like that would simply create immense hardship, and it did. You know, our measure of the impact was that it went also to eliminating um, critical middlemen in the trade value uh, channels. So daily earners and weekly earners that break bulk from MSMEs, you know, to hawk. So how did it impact MSMEs? I think it it was devastating. I think it may have been worse um, in some instances than COVID. Mm. Because at least with COVID, you could still withdraw all yes, your money. that's true. You know, here was a situation where if your total cash trading volume was $5 million a week, you couldn't find $5 million a week. Yeah. And if you had to send that money to people, maybe a local rural farmer who you normally would just send food to you, you now couldn't get the money across because the local farmer was demanding physical cash because he's financially excluded and no way to reach him. So value chains that were that have not been integrated into the financial ecosystem started to collapse, mm. um, and that was across board. So I think that I think the, the effect of the currency swap was immense. Now. Um, Subsidy removal is interesting because subsidy removal, the subsidy policy removal policy was in place 12 months ago. Mm. You know, the decision to remove subsidy did not happen when President Tinubu became president. It happened June last year. Mm-hmm. And what had happened was that the, 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 minist- the Ministry of Finance and the Finance Act mm-hmm. had removed subsidy technically from the budget. Okay. With and subsidy was supposed to go into op, subsidy removal was supposed to go into effect at the end of June last year, in line with the Petroleum uh, um, um, Industry Act 2021. Okay. And then there was an uproar. First, the National Assembly claimed that they didn't see the subsidy removal coming, mm-hmm. they didn't authorize it, etc., etc., etc. So the federal government merely postponed the date of its implementation to June. Right. And that, that's why if you listen to the, the phrase mm-hmm. that President Tinubu uses, he doesn't say, I'm removing subsidy. He says subsidy is already gone. Mm. It's already removed. That it was not even removed by him. It was removed by the previous government. So technically... Tinubu did not remove subsidy. Tinubu has just maintained a decision that was already in effect. Now, the structure of subsidy is tricky. Subsidy historically used to be, I mean, so so subsidy is a 47-year-old fiscal regime or fiscal intervention. It's it's older than many of us. And at the time subsidy was created, it was created to augment and, and and manage the component of our fuel that comes from overseas versus fuel that we produce from our refineries. Nigeria has three refineries or used to have three refineries that at full capacity could maybe manage about 25% of our needs, Please. which means 75% was coming from overseas and that would likely be more expensive. So subsidy was first created to just ensure that the price at which citizens buy PMS, whether mm. it's the one from overseas or the one produced at our refineries in Wari, Port Harcourt, and Kaduna were at the same price. Over the years, it became phantom in its nature, characterized by lots of inefficiencies and corruption. Okay? 
The result of that was subsidy became very fraudulent in terms of the size of the subsidy versus what Nigerians got from it. Mm. However, Nigerians have retained one basic argument that this is the only part of the national cake, mm. as it were, that comes to them directly and they're not willing to have subsidy removed. Mm-hmm. And this is a sustained socio-ecological uh, um, addiction to subsidy. Mm. So in 1999, the Obasanjo regime reformed subsidy. And if you remember, your petrol stations were managed only by international marketers. So you had um, um, Mobile, Chevron, Total. So those of us that were aware, remember that there were no local marketers in PMS. It was only just big marketers that owned petrol station mm. with NMPC, I think. Um, the sector was later nationalized and liberalized to allow for Nigerians to play. And then more marketers went into the downstream sector. As more marketers went in, the number of players you had to now do reconciliation on subsidies also grew. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there are two types of monies that go into subsidy. There's a subsidy that's subsidizing the international cost for bringing PMS to Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Then they're subsidizing the cost of getting PMS to the pump so that mm-hmm. it's equal across the country. So, for example, if I if Amaka is moving PMS from Lagos to Anambra now, and Tayo is moving PMS from Lagos to Kano, yeah. the, the, the cost of moving it is not the same. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, when you take subsidy away, what you're really doing is you're asking the citizen to pay okay. for these two costs right these two variations in the real cost of the pms which Mm -hmm. is transportation so if i were in the north and the tank farm cost of moving it to the north was x amount i'll I'll be forced to pay a figure that's a bit different from if i was close in a pump closer to a tank farm or the source or a seaport where Mm -hmm. pms came through um however government uh, as failure to fix many other problems have contributed. One, we went from refineries that are producing 25% to refineries that produce lesser and lesser right. and lesser. And what it seems is that the incentive to import, to earn some money from subsidy, was bigger than the incentive to refine our products. And yeah. so rather than over 47 years becoming self-sufficient in mm. refined PMS, we have become almost worse. 100% dependent on externally refined crude um, uh, oil. Mm -hmm. So whilst subsidy was good as a principle, as a buffer for Nigeria, it became an increasingly big fiscal burden. Mm -hmm. We initially were paying for subsidy between 1999 and 2011 from savings. We were in an oil boom. We had a foreign, uh, an excess crude account of over 60 billion. And so subsidy was paid from excess crude account about 1.5 to $2 billion a year. It was manageable because we had savings. Um, but in, 20, in 2010, 2011, we depleted our savings. Yes, we did. And then we, we and then if you, those of us that still, um, you know, are aware, depending on your age, you remember um, Honorable Minister Okonjo Ewela said we were broke. And yes. we, Nigerians, I young people that. say we're not broke yet. And we had Occupy Nigeria in I December recall. 2011, mm-hmm. um, January 2012. Mm-hmm. So subsidy, subsidy removal is an, an ongoing, ongoing conversation, conversation where yes. citizens say it will affect us, increase the cost of living if you remove it. But government says, you know, 
um, it's bad for us. Okay, so I think there are two things to subsidize the removal, particularly with regards to businesses. Yeah, any any removal of subsidy will automatically affect logistic costs. Okay, logistics then affects all costs of moving things around. Where things are moving around, fueled by PMS, petroleum uh, motor spirit. Mm-hmm. Not all goods in Nigeria move on PMS. Mm-hmm. The bulk of food, um, in in terms of long haul movement of food, moves on diesel fuel trucks. Those kind of goods should not be impacted by fuel subsidy. Mm-hmm. However, because the bulk of Nigerians' mass transportation is PMS based, all Nigerians moving. Human capital and the cost of human capital will go up across board with the attendant effects, which is what we are seeing in Nigeria. Seeing a knock-on inflation of about five percent, triggered specifically, you know, tri- triggered specifically by fuel subsidy removal, and that knock-on effect is on everything because if ten of your workers come mm. to work at a the additional five percent knock-on mm. it means that um the bus driver has done his own he's yep. transferred it to the woman moving the mama puts moving food to the construction site mm-hmm. the bricklayer has transferred it to the construction builder the construction builder has a combination of the transfer of the guys that supplied materials the guy that came to work to build yep. it, it affects the to- cost of his total building cost materials and people he then transfers the cost to the cost of sale or the cost of rent of the house that he's built, you know. So the knock-on effect is a high inflationary one that MSMEs will struggle with for a, a while. Mm. Um, the idea behind removal of subsidy, though, is that it frees up some money for government to, one, reduce its debts, and in reducing, it, it reducing its debts, and investing in critical sectors, for example, invest in electricity and bring down the total uh, uh, of electricity failure. Maybe, so for example, imagine if you had light 24 hours and you didn't need to turn on your small generator as, as a MSME, a barber, a, uh, owner of a saloon, owner of a small business. Just imagine if you had 24 hours 24 hour light you wouldn't check whether what whether how much fuel you have in your generator you would simply know that government's investment reinvestment of money that have gone to subsidy is now creating a stable electricity supply which would most likely come at um, come at a premium though yeah we, 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 well the point is even if it came at a premium if, if, if it nets off some of your five percent mm-hmm. knock on you feel it differently, right? Mm-hmm. So the question a lot of times back to fiscal policy is if you save the money from fuel subsidy, right. how will you invest it? Right. What will you put it into that guarantees that we'll see the easing effect on mm-hmm. the fuel subsidy removal mm-hmm. sooner than mm-hmm. later? Mm-hmm. The, the fact is fuel subsidy became too big. Mm-hmm. You know, last year we had an 11 trillion budget. Subsidy alone was approximately 7 trillion. Mm-hmm. You know, the, so it, it became fiscally unsustainable. However, 
the money saved from subsidy, if it is not applied to right. things right. that create efficiencies in the system, right. okay, and the efficiencies translate into easy, an easier environment, environment to do business, to do business. Mm -hmm. then things will get harder instead of easier. We've been discussing Nigeria's fiscal and monetary policy outlook and its implications for Nigeria's entrepreneurship ecosystem with Dr. Tayo Adoloju. Chief Operations Officer and Senior Fellow Economic Policy, Strategy and Competitiveness at the Nigerian Economic Summit Group. Watch out for the concluding part of this conversation.